Welcome back to the Unconquered Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jason Staples. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. I partnered with EPR Creations to build the Show the Safeties petition to get ESPN, CBS, and other networks to update the angles they use for televised football. If you want to be able to see the receivers downfield on pass plays, sign the petition at showthesafeties.com. And if you have any need for an improved internet presence or just want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations or send them an email and let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. You'll be glad you did. Information's in the show notes. Welcome back to the defensive preview for 2020. We've already done on the last episode, we did the linebackers and the safeties. We're going to go ahead and start with the corners on this episode as we continue to move forward. And I tell you what, start with one of the biggest additions here, a real cornerbacks coach. You're going with a full roster of talent here on the coaching staff instead of deciding to coach an entire season, one coach down. That's a bold move for him, Cotton. We'll see if it works out for him. But yeah, in all, all honesty, I mean, the, the fact that they just have a dedicated corners coach who knows this defense, believes in this defense, and is a quality coach, <laughs> that, that goes a long way. You're working with those guys day in, day out, in practice, that and in the film room, as an individual unit, that makes a big difference. So that in itself should help. Beyond that, they lost Stanford Samuels the third after last year, and I know he became a whipping boy among some fans, but still a quality corner guy that you will miss to some degree, but maybe not that much since you have a ton of talent returning that would have challenged him anyway. With Hakeem Dent, every bit as talented as Samuels and and faster. So gonna gonna replace a good quality player, former very close to five-star recruit in Samuels, five-star in one, one service with another guy who was a five-star type corner prospect coming out of high school, but with more top end speed. So got to feel pretty good about that. And then, of course, the other guy returning is Asante Samuel, who was pretty good last year and has stepped it up even more in camp. So you feel pretty good about your starters. And then beyond that, you have Mako Dotson who led the nation in interceptions last year for FAU before transferring in. And then Jarvis Brownlee, who's played extremely well throughout camp. And Jerry and Jones, the uh, the transfer from Mississippi State, who gives you another top-level, four-star type corner body and, and a guy who can really run. So you feel really good about five guys who have college experience and who, can, who have the, the physical ability to play at a high level. And at the corner position, it's as much about having the physical traits, having the athleticism to play the position as anything else. I mean, that's the thing. If you don't have that, you're not going to be a good corner. <laughs> it's, it's sort of the, the entry level. That's the entry barrier. If you don't have top level uh, athleticism, you're going to have trouble. And Florida State has five guys who athletically and in terms of their overall athletic profile would be in the mix to to start at any school in the conference. That includes Clemson. Now, Clemson has one corner who'd start over every one of these guys. But the other corner, any one of these guys would compete for that spot. So, and the guys that are second unit for Florida State would all compete to be second unit at, at, at Clemson as well. So you're looking at guys that there's a lot of talent at the cornerback position. And you got to feel with, with Dent and Samuel that you're going to be 
in the top three or four units in terms of, of corner starters in the conference. Basically, Clemson and North Carolina are the other two that have somewhere close to the, the same kind of talent, if not a little bit better, you can argue, basically, for all three of them. But feel really good about the corner position at Florida State. The talent is there. So if you've got that talent, then it's about refining technique and understanding the defense and understanding how to read routes and do all of that stuff. And that takes you from being an acceptable level of corner at this level to being a really good corner and a part of an outstanding defense. And that's something that, that Fuller actually, one of the things I've, I've been impressed by in terms of doing my digging into what makes Fuller tick during the off season and getting a sense of from where he'd been previously and getting a chance to, to talk to people and, and, and get a sense of, of how he does things. One of the things that he really takes a lot of pride in is ensuring that his defense communicates well. And that's something he puts a lot of emphasis on in the film room. And that's something that you're going to see a lot of guys. You're not just going to see pointing and shouting on defense, even though this is the year where you could do that because there's no crowd noise. You're not going to see just that. You're going to see specific hand signals that are going to be used from position to position to make sure that this guy knows, okay, I'm this te- I, we're going to be in this coverage, yes, but it's going to be this technique in this coverage, and I'm going to signal that. And then the thing is, one of the things that I love about Fuller, and, and when I did my digging, one of the things I found out is not only does Fuller have his defensive back signal stuff, but the receiver of the signal has to signal back, got it, got the signal. And so there's specific signals that work one way and then that work back in his system. And I like that because that's a way of ensuring that you don't have busts, that you don't have one guy playing a coverage that everybody else isn't. Because if the guy that, that makes the check and, and, and says, okay, signal this, if he doesn't get the signal back, then he plays a default coverage that's different from what he signaled. If there's a check out of that, no, we, we don't then wave off my check because I didn't get your signal back. So that's one of the things that I think really does pay off in terms of, of helping out and ensuring that you get fewer busts there. So that that's something to keep an eye on and to watch how well these guys communicate. And then the next thing is making sure that they do a good job of evaluating and reading routes. And this is something that Fuller Fuller's philosophy in this respect is a lot like Jeremy Pruitt's. So if you go back to Jeremy Pruitt, and, and I know those old articles and all of that from way back in 2013 uh, for Null Digest, which now, you know, that that those articles would be part of the 24-7 site way back. One of the things that I, I talked about then and on those podcasts from back in 2013, when we were talking about what Pruitt would bring from Alabama, was Pruitt's philosophy was very much of playing offense on defense. I don't want to just play defense. I don't want to have my guys reading and responding to what your offense is doing. I want to force you to have to adjust to what my guys are doing. That was, that was Pruitt's one of Pruitt's big things is he's going to try to change things after the snap. He's going to bring pressure in this or that way, make these checks and adjustments so that his guys are, are forcing your guys on offense to make adjustments. And one of the ways that they that they do that, and it's the Saban system that, that that really emphasizes this, and Pruitt has a specific way of of wanting to do that. But one of the ways that you do that is with specific checks and specific reading of 
concepts based on, okay, this offense likes to do these two things out of this look or these three things. These are the three things they like to do. So when they do this, we're going to check to this. It's going to be this look, but we're going to te- we're going to use this technique on it because we might be able to jump this and that'll create a turnover. So it's doing that sort of thing to, to, to fool the offense or to force the offense to, Oh, that guy's where I thought I, where I didn't think he'd be. And now I'm going to have to make an adjustment force the the quarterback to to think a little bit. And there's a lot of that in the way that Fuller approaches the defensive side of the football is he's trying by using a lot of post-snap movement and using a lot of things that, that show one thing pre-snap and then do something else or show something pre-snap that you've then moved into something else from for a while and then stay in it just so that there's a little bit of off balance stuff from the offense. So they actually have to read post-snap. They're not going to be able to just dictate to the defense that helps your corners. And again, this is where having a, a, a separate corner coach really helps because that's one more guy that is working individually with those guys in the film room and on the field to make sure that, look, this week, when we see this, when you see this and you're reading through number one into number two, when you're reading that slot, this release if he releases this way off of this formation, it's this 70% of the time. So know what you're looking at. That stuff, again, the individual attention, the stuff in practice that really helps. I think you're going to see improvement at the cornerback position. Samuel being a year older, I think Dent with the current coaching situation and also being a little bit physically uh, quicker, quicker twitch than, than uh, Stanford Samuels third and a little bit lo- a little bit more long speed. I think there's a little bit more ability at the corner position, more experience overall uh, at the, with, with Samuel in the backup position. The backups are, are quality. You combine that with the coaching situation. I think there should be a little bit of improvement at the corner spot, even though uh, even though overall personnel wise, it's close to a wash. I think there's going to be a noticeable improvement in terms of play from the cornerback position under this staff. I want to pause for a moment and thank Shenandoah Newsma from Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I've been surprised by how many listeners this podcast has in North Carolina. And if you or someone you know is looking for a realtor in the research triangle, Shannon is the best in the business. There's a lot of realtors out there, but not many have a PhD. Shannon did her PhD at UNC and knows how to put that research training to work. My wife and I worked with her when we were looking for a house several years ago, and she sets the standard for having every bit of information possible to help her clients. She is relentless. She's also an ace negotiator as she understands both the economics and psychology of the buying and selling process. You'll want her on your side whether you're buying or selling your house. Her information's in the show notes. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. Now we're going to go ahead and move to the defensive line. And I'm actually going to start with the defensive tackle position, which given that I've conceived this this whole preview system as starting with the bad news and moving to the good news it might surprise some of you that I'm actually working defensive tackles before defensive ends, but I'm going to, I'm going to start there and looking at the defensive tackle spot, you you lose Cedric Wood from last year back up and then you lose Dennis Briggs who's sitting out. Otherwise you get Marvin Wilson who was, who was hurt late last year. You get him back and then the big thing is you move back to a 4-3 type approach. And really, it's not so much about 4-3 versus 3-4, because they're going to look like they're in a three-down line as often as not. This is really a hybrid front. They're not, they're not running a true four-down. They're running a, a three-down with a hybrid 
Fox end on one side, who's really kind of an outside linebacker, defensive end type. And he's going to be used more as a defensive end than as a as an outside linebacker. But from a standing position, and he's going to drop some, you're going to see some of that from that spot. But what makes this more of an even front is that you're going to see more attacking from the defensive line. They're going to get upfield more often. That doesn't mean you're not going to see some two gapping. So again, the difference between one gapping and two gapping is in a one gap system, each player up front has is responsible for one gap, which allows you to react and respond quickly and downhill. Now there are some downsides to that in that if you can isolate, if you can send two guys through one gap, for example, that can cause some problems. Or if you can isolate a guy that's maybe not as good in his run fits, you can, you can potentially take advantage of that guy. And it also means that you got to commit one more guy up front than if you're two gapping. Sometimes you can, if you've got beasts up front that can actually take two gaps, which is the two gap situation. Now you're playing more head up over a player and you're responsible for your main gap and for the gap on the other side of the player that you're doing. So you're going to control the blocker and then try to shed to whichever side the ball carrier comes to. If a guy, if one guy can control two gaps, you don't have to commit as many people to the run. So that's the benefit of that. The downside of that is that it requires some reading and it requires that a guy be so dominant generally to be able to handle that, uh, that you're taking away some of the aggressiveness moving forward, trying to get into the backfield. So, Generally speaking, what you're going to see from Fuller's defense is mostly one gap. You're going to see mostly one gap, but it is a hybrid front. You're going to see some two gapping. And I've actually got I've been looking at how they defended Navy. And when they when they played Navy, they actually two gapped a good bit up front. So that tells you they've got it built in. And that tells you that they're willing to be flexible there. So this is a true hybrid front. You're going to see some two gapping at times. You're going to see one guy say up front who's going to two gap to try to help mitigate numbers. And that's one of the things you want to do against the spread. You, if you've got a, a guy like say uh, a Robert Cooper, who's a, a, a big dude. And if he can just sort of take up space and take up two gaps, then you can let everybody else take one gap. And that guy takes two gaps. And then you're, you, you can commit one more person to pass coverage that can help. But if you do it all the time, then there, you can get taken advantage of in some other respects. But mo for the most part, what they're going to do up front is they're going to they're going to depend on these guys. They're basically going to turn these guys loose and say, wreak havoc. Here's your gap. Get in the backfield and cause problems. And with the guys that they have a defensive tackle. They've got some potential to be really disruptive and the move to, to the four three or the move to really the other thing that they're doing here is that. In, in place of the last year when they went tight front, when they went three to the three down down lineman look, they went with three defensive tackles essentially on the field at once. And you look at last year, the three starters on the defensive line were Durden, Cooper and Wilson. Durden is really a defensive tackle. Cooper is a nose tackle. And then Marvin Wilson is really a defensive tackle. So you, you don't have really a, a defensive end out there. And, and one of the things that, that I mentioned last year is I really would have liked to have seen them use a, some of those tight, tight front concepts, but put Josh Kando in at one of those edges and actually see if he can cause some problems there with his quickness in addition to that size, because he's a big dude. So you could probably get more advantage. Well, guess what they're doing with this now? What they've done is they've, instead of going with three defensive tackles on the field, which limits your ability to set the edge, 
They're moving back to two defensive, two true defensive tackles on the field. And then that defensive end position is a big end, but it's, it's a true end. And that's where you're going to have Kando. So they're doing exactly one of the, one of the things that I would have liked to have seen them do last year. But what that allows you to do is that allows you to set up a rotation where you're going to have Marvin Wilson. You're going to have Corey Durden, who's still been a little, little limited in camp, but you're gonna have Marvin Durden, Cooper, love it. The, the new uh, transfer from Mississippi state. Who's been excellent in camp. Fabian love it. True Thompson and Jarrett Jackson as a, as a six man rotation for those two spots. I doubt there's another team. I doubt there's three teams in the country that have better talent at the defensive tackle position through six players than those guys. And there's certainly not more than two or three teams in the country. And I don't know that there are any teams in the country that would trade their top two defensive tackles, or let's say their top three defensive tackles for Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden, Robert Cooper, and Fabian Lovett. My guess is that all but maybe, maybe two teams, if that, in the country, would trade for those guys, would prefer those guys over who they have at their defensive tackle spots. And that's six that would be in the rotation anywhere. All six of those guys are going to play somewhere. They're going to be in the rotation. They're going to get, they're going to contend to be on the field everywhere. And that's, you know, from Alabama and Clemson down, Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden, Robert Cooper, and... Fabian Lovett in particular, those four guys are going to be in the two deep everywhere. And Marvin is going to be the bell cow everywhere. So <laughs> then you put those guys out there and you say, turn them loose. And this is where Cooper dropping another, you know, 30 pounds, 25 pounds, that lost weight also helps there. Still hasn't lost strength, but he's now able to, to be just a little quicker on that too. So I think that this group, is going to be noticeably improved less because of personnel. Now over the end of last year, significantly improved because Marvin Wilson wasn't out there, but overall compared to last year, I think this group's going to be significantly improved simply because they're catering the personnel. They're catering the the scheme to the personnel. They're basically looking at this defense. When they came in, they looked at this defense and they went, wow, okay, we can build from inside out here and we can put these guys, we can just ask these guys to eat. And they're building on that. That's going to, that's smart. And that's going to, I think, going to show some significant improvement. And that helps take the pressure off of your backers. So it's going to be interesting to see what they're able to do there. I think teams are going to have a hard time blocking these guys inside. You turn them loose and you're going to see Marvin Wilson. You're going to see Corey Durden. You're going to see Fabian Lovett and Cooper. Those guys getting in the backfield and causing problems. And so that's where I think the defense is, is, is going to, the, the quality on the defense is going to start. And I think there's a lot of reason. If you've got a top five set of defensive tackles and Florida State does, then you can have a lot of other weaknesses on defense and still be pretty good. Last year, they managed to have that level of talent at defensive tackle and squander it, which is inexcusable. That's why that staff got fired. So <laughs> they've got the talent to be really good at that spot. So that's, you know, you're talking good news. That's really good news. But we're going to go ahead and move, move into the other good news here after this. I want to pause for a moment and thank Luis Marquez from Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. 
Over 90% of home buyers search online first these days, so it's critical to make sure your listing stands out with great pictures and video. Lewis is a trained photographer and videographer. Other realtors have hired him to come photograph their listings, and nobody will make your home look better for prospective home buyers, including smooth, professional walkthrough video. And if you're in the market to buy a home in the greater Jacksonville area, no one will outwork Lewis. He was a manager at the Pickup Publix on Ocala and Tallahassee, so you know he works hard and understands customer service. He'll help you find the right house and make sure every step goes smoothly through closing. Information in the show notes. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered Podcast. I'm going to conclude this defensive preview by looking at the defensive end position. And this is where they didn't lose anybody from last year. Nobody who played. And then you get Josh Kando back. And Kando was injured early in the year. And Kando, frankly, was playing like an all-conference player at the point that he was that he was lost. If you go back and you look at what he was doing against Virginia, wow. That was the player that Florida State was hoping they, they had when they signed him. And <laughs> here's the thing. You got, you got Kando coming back from injury, and he has looked the best he's ever looked at Florida State throughout camp. He looked like the player that, again, that Florida State hoped they signed when he was a top 10 overall recruit. And then you got Janarius Robinson on the other side at the Fox. In my view, that Janarius Robinson and Josh Kando have a chance this year to be as good a pair of bookends as Florida State has had in, in a while. Going back to the Brian Burns era. And frankly, let's not forget how talented Josh Kando is. It's easy to forget because he's been banged up. He's you know just been limited and hasn't really splashed as much as what you might have expected. But that guy was the most talented defensive end recruit in the country coming out of high school. Top 10 overall recruit in the country. And if you look at him, as I said on a couple episodes ago, if you look at him, he looks like you built him in a lab to play defensive end in the NFL. And he has the burst and the speed and the length to do anything you want at that position. And if he stays healthy and they really worked with him on what they needed to, to get him back to back to health and to, to prehab him to make sure that he stays healthy. If he stays healthy, Kendo could be an all American. Don't, don't sleep on how good that guy can be. You're talking about a double-digit sack guy, a guy that can change the game in terms of forcing teams to have to chip him, to have to account for him on the edge. That's that's the, the kind of quality that Florida State may get from that spot. And then you line him up next to Marvin Wilson. You line him up next to that group of defensive tackles, and all of a sudden, things look really different. And then on the other side, Janarius Robinson is no, is, is no slouch coming into his senior year. Took him a little bit to grow, but he's, he's, you know, he's been through multiple coaches and not necessarily, you know, great coaches uh, in terms of pass rush defensive end. You know, I'm not going to say anything bad about Odell as a coach. The guy's a great coach. But one thing we talked about last year is he's not a he's not a pass rush coach. He's always coached interior linemen. That's what he does. He's great at what he does, but he's not a pass rush coach. He's not a defensive end guy. And <laughs> when you're getting Woody coaching you on the edge, you're not getting a whole lot there. So all of a sudden with Papuchas, they're, they're actually getting coached at the defensive ends and they've got a chance to actually be good there. So now you've got a Fox and an end that can really play. 
And then at the backups, you've got Quayshon Fuller backing up Janarius. And then Josh Griffiths also getting some time, the freshman. And then Deontay Williams and probably Curtis Fan on the other side. Now, Quayshon Fuller in the spring, and I got to see some of that. Quayshon Fuller looked really good in the spring. So if he's developed anything on top of what we saw in the spring, I feel confident about him being able to, to, to contribute on the field at that Fox position. So you feel pretty good there. The, the real question mark is the depth behind Janarius Robinson, or behind Josh Kando, that is. The real question mark is there. They, they need Kando and Janarius to stay healthy. But beyond that, the starter posi- at the starting roles, they're as good as they've been in quite a while. And I think you can expect significant, I'm talking about serious improvement at the defensive end position just by getting a healthy Kando back on the field and having Janarius Robinson back on the field in a position where he's actually able to, where he's cleared to do what he's, what he does best. He's not, he's not in the, the position where he's playing outside linebacker. He's in that hybrid defensive end backer position, yes, but not like a true outside linebacker in the 3-4 in the tight front like what he was last year. He's being asked to do what he does best. So now, and, and listen, Janarius was pretty good last year. So you put those, those two guys on the field with the, other, with the defensive tackles, and I think you've got the best starting front four in the conference. Yes, better than Clemson. Better than better than Pittsburgh, better than Miami. Across the board, I think Florida State defense, Florida State's defensive line will be the best in the ACC. I'm going to say it again. I think Florida State's defensive line this year will be the best in the ACC if if those guys stay healthy. And of course, that's the big question with with COVID. All of a sudden, if you get struck by COVID nineteen, uh, you know you get some guys that are out for a, for a couple weeks because they're quarantined and all this. That's an issue. But if we're looking at the roster as it stands, I think Florida State is the it has the best front four in the conference. And go back through recruiting rankings and you'll find out real quickly that those guys actually should be the best front four in the, in the conference. Now, you know, Clemson's going to be awfully good there. There's going to be a couple others that are really good. But I think that that front four is going to give Fuller a lot of ability to move some things around in the back seven. And that's a huge luxury in year one. And they're going to need to take advantage of that. They need to show proof of concept that, look, Florida State defensively is going to be what it used to be. And that'll, that'll help in recruiting if they're able to do that. So putting it all together, as we consider what all this is going to look like, you've got a ton of talent at DB. Got a few concerns and question marks on how that's all going to fit together at safety, but you got a lot of talent at DB. You've got guys that, at, at the corner position that can single cover most of the guys in the conference. You've got probably the best starting defensive line personnel in the conference and top to bottom in terms of of depth. You feel as good about the two deep across the board, except for potentially the guy behind Kando, which is still a question mark for three of the four positions up front. You feel as good about your two deep guys as any, any team in the conference. So you feel like you've got some depth to be able to contend with some of the issues that might come up there. And at backer, you've got depth, which you haven't had in years. And at defensive back, you've got eight, 10 guys that can all play, that can all play at a starting level role. So there's more depth in terms of what they have defensively to be able to deal with potential attrition 
than nearly any program in the conference. I mean, Clemson probably a little bit more on a little bit more overall, certainly more on offense, but defensively probably pretty comparable, actually. Clemson may be a little ahead there, but the real issue, the real advantage that Clemson has is multiple years in the same system. And that's really where the, the question, the biggest question mark is going to be is how many busts are you going to see? How much hesitation are you going to see? How many things are not quite where they should be because of the new scheme? And this is the fourth defensive scheme they've run in four years. So these older guys have been, they've been through four defensive systems. You're looking at Marvin Wilson. You're looking at uh, guys like Janarius and, and uh, Kando and uh, some of those guys. They've been, this is the fourth system they've been in. Now, the, the benefit for them is that a lot of the base scheme is really similar to what Barnett ran in 2018. So that should help. Now, the terminology is very different, and they do a lot of different things, and there's more variety, but the base scheme and certain things being similar to Barnett's scheme is going to help. But, like I said, the depth is, is good, and it's better than all but... Defensively, they've got more depth than all but maybe Clemson in the conference. And ultimately... Coordination matters a lot on the defensive side of the ball. Coordination matters a ton. And dysfunction in the coaching staff killed the defensive side of the ball last year. So whereas last year they were 61st in S&P or in SP plus and 50th in defensive FPI. I think this year this defense should be a top 15 defense. Now, remember, there are fewer teams. But I think it should be a top 15 defense. They're going to have a chance to, to be in every game, except for maybe Clemson. Because that defense is going to keep them in games. And you combine that with a significant improvement in, in special teams, because Florida State was terrible on special teams under Taggart. 81st in FPI last year, 109 in S SP plus last year, and they were a good bit worse than that under Hamilton or under Hampton the prior year. So they were terrible in special teams the last two years. And they're going to be a lot better on special teams. They, they have focused on special teams more than just about any team you'll ever see through camp. They're going to be much better on special teams. You're going to get better field position as, as a result. And this defense is going to help the offense. You combine that. This is, a, this is a team that has a chance. And again, Norvell has to treat this team as a defense and special teams first team. If he treats this team as a, we're going to play for our, to let our defense and special teams win games for us. And the offense just has to not lose games. If they're able to do that, and just make sure that the offense doesn't put them in terrible spots. There's not a game this team can't win. And that includes Clemson. They won't beat Clemson. I'm not going to say that. But the talent is there to be in the ballgame. And that's laughable after the last couple of years. Because Clemson was in a different stratosphere. And they still are. And they're probably going to blow this team out. But all that said, with what you've got defensively, I'll just say this, in every game but Clemson this year, and that includes Notre Dame, in every game but Clemson this year, they really, if they play this as a, if, if they're able to, to play this to the defense and special teams and, and let those units win games for them and make sure that the offense doesn't lose the game, they're going to be in every game. They have a chance to win every game. Other than that Clemson game, which really is still, you know, you're, Really, with with the elf at quarterback, you're just gonna you're gonna lose to Clemson. I'm sorry, that's just, it, the guy. You just don't have have a bunch of you're not beating that guy. But other than that, this team can really be a, a quality team 
if you're able to do that. Now, again, this is a first-year deal. And if there was a year not to be a first-year head coach, it's this year. But you keep coming back to that talent on defense and the fact that it was coaching that held the ta- held that talent back the last couple of years. And you say, you know, they got a chance. I don't see anybody else in the schedule that they don't have a reasonable shot to beat. And then you look at Norvell's history in terms of his willingness to play defense and special teams first in situations where it warrants it. It's going to be an interesting year. Very, very interesting year for Florida State. So the next episode, I'm going to go through the schedule a little bit. I'm going to talk about what I think is likely to happen, where, where, where we're going to see Florida State most likely to lose, most likely to win. I'm going to you know, try to call the season a little bit, do the uh, traditional season preview as a whole. That'll be the next episode, and then we'll do the Georgia Tech preview later in the week. But until then, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and The Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. I made this. <laughs>